Sometimes in life, you get the chance to work with some pretty incredible people. And my career has put me face to face with some of the very best. Judge Jay Corpening is Chief District Court Judge for New Hanover and Pender Counties right here in North Carolina. Judge Corpening received national recognition when he was presented with the David Sukup Judge of the Year Award at the National Court Appointed Special Advocates Conference in Boston in 2018. So yeah, I guess you could say he is pretty fancy. But what I admire most about him are the simple ways that he consistently brings grace, compassion, hope, and patience into his courtroom and our community. He is a lifelong learner and passionate about everyone's ability to rise. He is thoughtful, kind, and one of the best advocates for children and families I know. He is well known for hosting children at his mock Disney trials at the courthouse, and he even works out of his very own bat cave. Please help me in welcoming Judge Jay Corpening to Nothing Fancy. Well, hello. Hi, Lisa. How are you? I'm good. I hope you are. I am. I'm doing great. Thanks. I'm so glad I get to spend the morning talking to you. Oh, it's awesome. It makes makes my day. <laughs> it's good stuff. Are you are you surviving the the wind and the rain out there? So I got wet twice. Yeah. Um, but and that was even with a raincoat. But oh but goodness. it's but it's okay. I, you know, rain is awesome. Um, at least you know no no tornadoes yet. So. This is, the, the, this is true. That's the that's yeah, the sunshine of it all. Yes, I, it's been a mate like it's it has blown like really hard. Like I had to run outside and get pillows off of the front porch and and take down some Easter decor and things like that. I was just like, oh my goodness, I'm not going to have anything left if I don't run out there. So, and I saw trash cans blown all over the streets when I drove in to downtown this morning. Wow, um, wow. So, are you coming to us from the Bat Cave today? From the bat cave, yes. From the yes. bat cave. I got so tickled when you were talking about that the other day. Describe for every, tell us about the bat cave. So I'm on the ground floor of, uh, of, down, of a building downtown. Mm -hmm. um, I've got a, I don't know, it's a probably a 15 by 30 uh, room. Okay. Um, cement block walls, but some really big windows, but there's one wall where there are no windows, and that's where all of my Batman memorabilia <laughs> hangs and sits on top of the shelves. And when I do um, WebExes, my camera uh, actually looks over my shoulder and displays part of the, the, the Batcave wall. Um, I didn't think about that until somebody made a comment during one of my early WebExes a few weeks ago, and um, but it brings some levity to some of the serious meetings I'm in. Absolutely. So it's, it's, it's fun. And it's a, keeps me out of the sort of flow of regular business in our main building. Uh, uh -huh. I go when I need to go there. So that way I can work all day without having to interact with, um, with many folks necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Well, which is especially important right now with all of the, the quarantine issues, I'm sure. No question about it. And I'm, since I'm an old guy, I fall into the, you know, there were, you know, I'm blessed to be alive every day. Right. So, <laughs> I, so when I open my eyes, I say, you know, thank you, Jesus, every day. Uh -huh. um, but at 65, I suddenly fall into all kinds of categories like Medicare and high risk for COVID and the, the high dose flu shot and you know, all those, oh, gosh, all those know. magical things. I know it was really funny. I, I, you know, I even recognized that when they, they said, you know, these are the, the risk ages. I was like, wow, I'm in those risk ages now. Like yeah. how could that possibly be? Right. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm adjusting pretty well. I haven't needed therapy about it yet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm okay so far. Um, uh, you know, but I had a wonderful, you know, my, I don't know if you remember Pat Laney. Pat Laney worked at DSS for years and okay. uh, retired as a supervisor and became my case coordinator when we started family court in 2000. And Pat worked with me until I think she was 75. And, and, and every milestone she hit redefined aging for me because she is ageless. I mean, yeah. she's, 
she's still playing pickleball. I, 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 I'm, I'm just amazed. So that's sort of redefined aging. So I'm looking forward to aging like that. Maybe. I know, I know. And it really is funny because I think in some ways, I don't know if this is true for you, but sometimes, I mean, I just think as I get older, I suddenly start to feel younger. Like I, I don't recognize that. Oh, wow. Like I am actually getting older because there's so many things that have become a lot more fun. You know, that's true. And I, but I have to stay out of photo, photo albums. <laughs> this is true. So I was, we, we, we've taken advantage of, of some home time to, you know, clean out some stuff and move some stuff. And um, I was going through a bookshelf where stuff has accumulated that I don't know why I kept and okay. found a couple of small little photo albums crammed in behind some books and opened. And I said, I said Donna, look, look how young we were. <laughs> I know. I know. It is, it is just a major paradox for sure. It's, it's very interesting. Oh my goodness. So I am just, I mean, like I said, I'm so excited to have you um, just share your experience and, and sort of what your um, learning has looked like over the last, I mean, you know, over the course of your career, but also just in the last few years as our community has really been hit hard you and I talked about this the other day, but, you know, we both have a, a, a strong, um, you know, experiential working with trauma. Yes. And I think about, I think about, you know, our community. Um, and I think a lot about Hurricane Florence, Hurricane Dorian, about what we're going through with COVID-19. Um, and I just think, you know, we have really, our community has really been through it. And you, um, are one of our judges here in Wilmington. So I want you to, first of all, just sort of tell everybody what your role is, how you serve this community. And then I want to talk a little bit about what you're sort of experiencing and learning over the last several years. Okay, sure. So I serve as chief district court judge for New Hanover and Pender counties. Some days that means I'm the head of the complaint department. Um, (laughs) But um, so I'm sort of the administrative head of the district court side of, of, of our court system, which volume-wise, district court handles about 97% of the cases in our, in our court system. Um, a lot of that's traffic. So I schedule our nine district court judges through the multiple courts that we run in both counties. I'm responsible for policymaking, for oversight of our dockets. Um, and then I also, as, as part of my work here, everything juvenile in New Hanover County. Uh, so kids who are in trouble, I hear families whose lives intersect with Department of Social Services, I hear, I hear their cases. And so, mm-hmm. uh, it's basically four days of court a week and sometimes Fridays too, but Friday is an administrative day for me. And, um, although... My, my administrative work has evolved into being full time with with COVID, but uh, that's yeah. a that's a nutshell of what of what my work's about. And then you also, I mean, like, and 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 so you have all of that, which is a lot bigger than it may even sound as as you're sort of describing it. Like it keeps you very very busy, but then you also do some other really, you know, I mean, just remarkable things in our community around resiliency, and and other things. Can you say a little bit about that? Sure. So um, as part of serving families, and I, and I believe that that's my role is to serve families, um, I, we, we have to find better ways to serve them, um, better ways to support them, better ways to help them. And so I'm involved in a number of projects that, that are designed to make things better. The Resilience Task Force is one of the, the latest endeavors. I serve on the steering committee for the Resilience Task Force and, and across uh, five or six different sectors of the community, we are working to uh, improve resilience, which is, you know, everybody experiences trauma and but how we respond to trauma, um, you know, really has an, has an effect on outcome. And, and we're trying to prepare um, first responders, try to prepare teachers, social workers, um, other, other care providers to be resilient themselves as they seek to respond to other people's trauma and educate, um, educate folks about that. So resilience task forces is, is, is one area. 
Um, I chair the community child protection team. We look for gaps in services to children that affect outcomes for children. As, as part of that, we um, examine every child fatality that happens in, in New Hanover County to see whether you know, there were there were gaps that that have, that literally could have been prevented a death. Um, I chair the the juvenile crime prevention council. Uh, we manage a pot of almost six hundred thousand dollars every year in creating uh, dispositional alternatives for adjudicated youth, uh, trying to make their lives better, trying to help the families be um, more stable, help the help the parents be more responsive to their children. So those are some of the, the big ticket things. One of the less formal things that I'm involved in that I have enjoyed is that I've volunteered at schools for 25 years, um, opening car doors, directing traffic. Um, I've, I've been at Hoggard for the last few years. Of course, I haven't been at school much this school year. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, no. So, um, but, but just to show children and families that there's a, an adult who's willing to be there and, you know, say good morning and how you doing and mean it. Um, yes. An adult that doesn't have to be there has, I think, really had an impact. And I've been doing it so long now that, that you know, there, there are a couple of generations of kids that are now adults that I know from seeing at school when they were in elementary school or middle school or high school. So um, that's, that's some of the stuff that, um, that I'm involved in. I get involved at the state level and some stuff too, but locally, those are the, those are the, the biggest things that I'm involved in. Yeah. You know, and I, I have to tell you, I mean, as much as I know you from, you know, and I, and, and I, I sort of tease, but like the fancy things that you do in our community, one of the things that um, gives me goosebumps really is what you just said about opening the car doors and being a presence in a place where you don't necessarily have to be. Because I think that when I talk to people who know you, that's really one of the first things people talk about. So, so that's one of the fun, really fun things I get to do. And, and one of the fun parts of that, Lisa, is that, that for years, people had no idea who I was. Mm -hmm. Even people yeah. who worked at the schools, like a couple of years ago, WCT ran a story about me being out there and they came and filmed me wearing my orange vest and direct traffic <laughs> and stuff. And, and the next day a teacher came up and said, I had no idea who you were. Um, uh -huh. I had another teacher come up to me one several years ago and, 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 and I get the, can I ask you a question? I get that all the time. Right. Of and, course. Yeah. And so, um, when I'm at school, a lot of times it's about jury duty. Um, mm -hmm. so I said, sure. Ask. And if I can't answer it, I, I'll tell you. And, and mm -hmm. she said, I want to know how you get out of staff meetings. <laughs> <laughs> so, so. So um, I'm perfectly happy to be anonymous, um, uh -huh. you know, out there. Uh, you know, I, I am doing some guest teaching in civics classes at Hoggard for the last few years. I'll go and I'll schedule a Friday where I can be at Hoggard basically for three periods and um, sort of do a civics in real life class uh, for, uh -huh. for a couple of the teachers. And, and, um, and, and, and when the kids when I'm introduced, because they know a judge is coming, and when I walk in the room and they connect the dots to you're the guy out front. Oh, I love it. Then their faces just light up and they smile, and I have an immediate connection with them, even though we've never really yes. met other than just saying good morning in the morning. Um, so that's that's been a real neat thing for me and, and incredibly rewarding without fanfare, without you know anything else. It's just It's just fun to interact with the kids, and it reminds me, of how much good is out there. Um, Absolutely. Because we, we, you know, we tend to focus as a society on negatives. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and I see as part of my work, I see kids who are in trouble, but I'm reminded that all kids are good. Uh, yes. Some have made mistakes, uh, but I get to, I get to interact with so many wonderful young people, even just briefly on a daily basis when I'm doing that, that it really reminds me of all the good and what a bright future we have because of the wonderful young people we have growing up, like your kids, yeah. for example. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I love that. I just, I really do. I just, I love that. And I just admire the, you know, I, I mean, like the tenure, you've done that for a really, really long time. And, and, and I know people for whom you've opened the, do the door. Um, and, and it just, uh, 
always stands out and always um, makes me smile when somebody says that about you. I, it always, I just think that's so neat. Well, and it was just, a, and it was just a sort of a random thing how it all got started, Lisa, because um, my friend Julia Davis uh, started as uh, then a new principal at Winter Park Elementary School when my 33-year-old daughter was in the second grade. Wow. Um, and uh, I was I was the the president of the PTA for the school year coming up, so she reached out to me near the end of the summer and said, hey, I'd really like to get to know the parents. Would you be willing to volunteer with me for some mornings opening car doors so I can get to know parents? And so we, we started it with a vision of a couple of weeks, three weeks. It became three months. It became <laughs> all of a sudden, I look back, 25 years. Um, 25 years. I mean, that's just nuts. Uh, so that's. And I, and I hate that this year has been so disruptive because my fall was very disruptive uh, to my volunteering at school with work. Plus, we had, you know, another another hurricane. Um, yep. And then and then now COVID-19 has taken away the, the spring from us. But um, yeah. I'm looking forward to being back next year. I, uh, there's a chance I'll be be at Holly Tree again. I've got a friend who's going to be a interim principal, I think unless the permanent hire is made before school starts, whenever that is. And so I may be back in Holly Tree for a while. And um, anyway, it's a wonderful part of my life and I, I look forward to it um, every day. I love it. I love it. And simple, 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 simple. And I love simple. Um, let me, so let's talk a little bit about, I mean, you have this sort of, I think you have a, a really big view and a vantage point to sort of look at what's been going on in our community and to really see things. Um, how have you been sort of adapting to quarantine and how have you been, how has your work been adapting? So, um, you know, every, every, every day is a new day. Um, mm -hmm. I, I've, I've self-isolated. I've had to work every day and um, there are times that I, you know, there, there are things that I have to sign because other people aren't around and there's policy development, there's WebEx meetings, there's this, and I'm blessed to have an office that's sort of off the beaten path that I can work in and work from and self-isolate. It has been um, very different. Um, mm -hmm. I have typically traveled um, around the state, you know, four to eight days a month and that ended abruptly. Um, so now I'm either, either meetings have been canceled or we're meeting, you know, versus over WebEx or zoom. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, so that's, that's been, you know, that's, that's been a change. Uh, some of the work that I've been doing around the state with school justice partnerships has ground to a halt because that really involved, you know, groups of community stakeholders coming together and, me sharing what we do in New Hanover County and then, and then, and then those groups, you know, taking off and doing the work themselves over a series of meetings. And that, that kind of contact has just ended for the time being, um, the yeah. schools being out with everything. Um, you know, the, I, I've seen the impact, you know, my wife's been working from home. I think this is either last week was end of week three, maybe even week four, uh, you know, I lose track, I think week four. And, yeah. and so, you know, even though I feel isolated, you know, in the, in the office where, where I am, there are still people that I see during the day, just even for brief periods of time. And she's at home and, and, you know, working upstairs in our frog and, and, and is completely isolated. And she remarked one day, you know, I'll take a break from work. And I'm used to, you know, seeing somebody at the coffee pot or at the copier or wherever, and now mm -hmm. I don't see anybody. And uh, they've they've done some, you know, Zoom conferences, but it's it's just so different. Uh, and so one of the things that I'm seeing is is stress levels um, pick up uh, with folks that I work with. Um, yeah, because life is different, and you know folks can't help but be consumed, you know, wondering if they're going to catch the virus and, and sure. wondering what exposure they may be getting when they're at work. And, you know, we're an essential service. The court system is an essential service. Uh, courts are required by law to be open. Constitutionally, we're supposed to be open. Um, 
mm-hmm. but we're always, you know, we're, we're right on the edge. We're not open for business as usual. We're open for emergencies, uh, things like domestic violence, uh, juvenile emergencies, other emergencies. Um, but it's, but everybody is keenly aware that things are very different. Uh, and, yes. and so I'm, I'm really seeing that stress. Um, we had a, I'll use the word magical. It was almost a magical moment last week. Um, a young local lawyer catered lunch for the entire clerk's office that was working that day. And oh, the wow. joy that that simple gesture mm-hmm. brought was incredible. And nobody, you know, nobody was sitting down, huddled around the table, eating together. Folks were spread mm-hmm. out, even getting their food, but just that sort of break in our new normal, our new routine was so helpful. Uh, and it was just awesome to watch. Um, and, and just to say hello to people that, you know, cause I go in the building and I see as few people as I can possibly see. I don't, I don't walk through the clerk's office anymore. I don't go hang out. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. if I need something in the clerk's office, I go to the front counter like everybody else and wait in line. And so, so I'm trying not to, to, to be in spaces that I don't need to be in. And so it's nice to see people. And I think that, you know, the response I saw from others was, was incredible. It was really nice, but. Yeah. Well, it goes back to that simple gesture too. I mean, you know, that's an interesting theme already. It's just that it's in those simple things. I mean, it's, you know, to provide a meal for someone, especially in a, in a, an essential worker who has to go to work, who has to be there, you know what I mean? Who may not have realized, Oh, when I signed up to be an essential worker, I didn't know that I would go through two hurricanes and COVID-19 and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And I want to talk about that a little bit too, but I just think it's just, I see you, I hear you, I value you. And, and that is, that's, it's opening car doors, right? right? It's just, I'm, I'm here. I'm so one of the cool things that, that, my little church. I go to a little church called Saltbox Community Church, and one of the cool things that mm-hmm. that we are working on is having a coffee truck. And it doesn't have the name of the church on it. It's Yellow Truck Coffee Company, and um, <laughs> it's got the logo of Yellow Truck Coffee Company on the door of the yellow pickup truck. It's like a 1964 Chevrolet, I think. Um, uh-huh. And then on the on the fenders, it's got Coffee with a Cause, uh, but that's all it has on it. And um, We've, we, we haven't rolled out coffee yet, although I think we may be rolling it out this week at Gratitude Lane for New Hanover Regional and start serving coffee when they're doing their Gratitude Lane. Oh, again. But Saturday, we took the truck over to the parking lot at that Betty Cameron and parked it near the footbridge that employees uh, go. And we had a family who painted a sign that said, all angels don't wear scrub. Don't, all angels don't have wings. Some wear scrubs. Thank you. Uh, And had some art on it. And we, we, we mounted that four by eight sheet of plywood on the tailgate of the truck and parked it there for employees to see. And we're going to, we're going to take that truck back. It's not there today because of the rain and the wind, but, but hopefully it'll be back there tomorrow morning and be there most of the day. And, and then we're going to park it over at gratitude lane in the afternoons and try to serve coffee too. Um, And that's simple, something simple for us to do, but we don't have to, you know, we don't physically have to be there because folks see the sign and smile while we were there getting it set up on Saturday, several employees smiled and just, you know, waved to us and said, thank you so much. Um, simple for us. We're painting a piece of plywood and putting it on a tailgate. I love it. I love it. Yes. And, you know, I do think, I mean, I, you know, you, you spoke about the resiliency task force and about, you know, that, it's not, you know, of course, we're always looking at resiliency. You and I share that, you know, resiliency in children and families and things like that. And that is so important and such a cornerstone of my work. And I know it's a cornerstone of your work. But I think that one of the things that I'm always really um, mindful of is the importance of resiliency in our essential workers and our providers. You know what I mean? That, that we have to recognize them and we have to be aware of the special things that they're kind of going through. Um, as our community, I mean, our community has learned how to rise in ways that I don't think other communities have. I agree with that. And I think, um, and that's a testament to lots of our leadership uh, in the city and the county uh, in 
our uh, the way our our government responds to crisis. Um, I think that um, they paid a lot of attention uh, to to uh, to the trauma that the communities are experiencing. I think it's also a testament to the people in our communities who have come together to support each other through now three years in a row worth of major crisis. Um, and yeah. you know because uh, I think the you know, the new hashtag for the hospital is we're all in this together and we are. Mm -hmm. uh, and, mm -hmm. and so I think it's more important than ever for those of us who, you know, have the means to make a difference that we seize those opportunities to do whatever we can do to make a difference for those who are experiencing uh, trauma. Yes. And that it's, you know, it's, it's not, it's always interesting too, because I think even, you know, you and I've talked about this a little bit, but even as a judge or as a social worker, as a doctor, as a nurse or whatever, I mean, you're experiencing that trauma alongside the people that you're working with. I mean, it, it is sort of, it's, you know, people say, uh, or, or one of my favorite quotes is, you know, if you work through trauma you, it, it's sort of like walking through rain and thinking you're not going to get wet. You're going to get exposed. It's going to impact you. Yes. There's no question about that. And, and it, and it does build up. I shared with you the other day when we talked that I had a little mini breaking point a couple of Fridays ago. I, this is the stress of trying to manage our system through all this. And then I found out that a, that a friend of 40 years was about to die and it just hit me. Mm -hmm and crushed me. And mm -hmm. that was sort of like a tipping point for me. And, and that Friday night was, wasn't pretty for me. Um, but mm -hmm. I reached out to some trusted friends and Saturday was a better day. And, and, you know, and then off, off we go, but we all need to have those sounding boards, those folks that we can reach to and say, can you talk? Um, I need you. Yes. Uh, and we have to be mindful of our, stress and reconnect. I think that's something that, that as we run our hundred mile an hour days, even though right now we may run, we may be running in place in our isolated offices, <laughs> we're still running a hundred miles an hour. And as you know, and we don't always take the time to reconnect and check in for ourselves. And, and I think that sometimes as providers, we we're so outward focused, that we forget yes. to focus inward too. And, and, and remember that we're no good to anybody if we don't take care of ourselves. Absolutely. I mean, you know, and, and people who know me and sort of know the work that I've done know that I, I mean, I say that all the time, like even when it doesn't feel like it, the most important person on your caseload, the most important person that you're working with, your most important patient, however you want to look at that is yourself. And if we're not sort of, you know, funneling that inward and if, and if our organizations are not encouraging that and, and responding to that need as well, um, then we really are not going to be able to be of consistent um, service to the people. I agree. And I'm, I am, I self-confess that I, there are times that I'm terrible about it, but I've had good friends like Julie Osier who, who, who every semester <laughs> I go to, I go to her um, uh, abuse neglect dependency class at, at UNCW and, and every time I'm there before I get out of the room, she says, now, judge Corpening, will you tell the class what you do for self-care? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you know, so, um, because I'm bad about putting things off. I put off, for example, I put off a hip replacement for over two years just because oh, wow. I was being stupid. There's no other way to say it. Mm -hmm. Um, there was no reason for me to mm -hmm. put it off. I got immediate relief when I had the surgery. Um, I just mm -hmm. kept thinking that somehow I'd get better. And intuitively, I knew I wouldn't, but I just kept putting it off saying, okay, well, I can deal with this. I can deal with this. I'm busy. I'm too busy. I'm, you know, I'm this, I'm that. And, and Julie kept calling me out on it. And so finally, I was able to go to her class and, and say, well, you know, I got a new hip. That's part of what I do for self-care. <laughs> you know, I can... I can stand up straight now. I'm actually an inch taller than I was. And, you know, cause I, it, yeah. So, uh, I, I'm, I'm one of the world's worst, but I'm trying to be better about it. Yeah. Well, and it, it, I mean, sometimes it just takes, you know, kind of getting, 
for lack of a better way to say it, like smacked upside the head with what am I doing? You know, and, and for some of us that, that comes in, in major ways and, and in others, maybe in more subtle ways, but. So mine was almost literally a slap across the head. My wife sick the preacher on me and, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and, 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 and the, the direct threat was, I'm going to pick you up and take you to the doctor if you don't schedule the appointment and go. And so that, that got things um, going. And so I'm, I'm trying to be better about, about things like that, but, but that's, but self-care is important and self-awareness is important for all of us who, you know, provide in, in, in what, whatever the area, whatever the realm of, of human services, um, stress levels are popping off the charts and we've really got to be aware of, of where we are. Really have to be aware. Yeah, I absolutely. And, and like I said, I mean, you know, you and I talked about, you know, our school kids, I mean, they have not finished a complete year of school in three years, in three years in this community. I mean, that's nuts. And, you know, you think about UNCW was out of school for a month um, with Florence and I think a week or two with Dorian. And now, you know, the entire semester disrupted, which is true. I mean, you know, which again is true for high school students, middle school students, elementary school students. Um. And it's just, I mean, it's just unbelievable to see our, you know, our entire community shut down. But again, you know, our essential workers still having to show up in the midst of all of this and be. Yes. And, you know, and, and, and one of the things that worries me is that we're not going to know the impact of this trauma on our young people potentially for years. Um, Right. It's, you know, I wonder and I, and I, I wonder and I worry if the trauma that we're experiencing with these major disasters three years in a row is like a head injury where with every successive head injury, the potential damage to your brain is, you know, more serious. Uh, it's cumulative. And I wonder mm-hmm. about trauma uh, from disasters like this. I wonder, I wonder and worry if that's, you know, has a potential cumulative effect that will then play out you know, somewhere else like, you know, I think we can fairly say that Hurricane Florence was an ace in every one of our lives. It's an adverse experience. Sure. Uh, Hurricane Dorian was. Yeah. COVID-19 definitely is. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so do we need a, a new way to score aces, adverse childhood experiences or adverse community experiences? Do we need a new way to score those? Uh, what's What's happening yeah. to folks cumulatively as a result of this? You know, I've uh, I had a social work intern from um, UNCW all year this year, and when this first hit and court closed, you know, our conversations over the phone because you know she wasn't allowed to come back, even though we were open for emergency, she wasn't allowed uh-huh. as part of her internship, and right, and so she was worried about graduating, she was worried about her hours, she was worried about you know projects and you know, that, that had to be finished. And, you know, we were able to work through all that, but, but she, but she had a real fear of not graduating. And then, and then how much is another semester going to cost? Um, Absolutely. And, and what about my plans for, you know, after I, you know, cause good students expect to graduate. Right. Uh, and, and, right. and so they're making plans and she was making plans and, um, and fortunately, because we were so attentive to time and hours in first semester, she was able to to meet hours and then hours were adjusted so that um, so that kids with internships could still graduate with, you know, with less than what the traditional hours have been. But but we were in we were in pretty good shape, but still the stress that she went through was was palpable. And um, and I can I can only imagine for, you know, elementary kids and middle school kids and even high school kids who are so used to being with their, with their peeps all day. Right. Cause they're at school and they're around their friends all That's the time. Right. And then all of a sudden they're not seeing their friends except maybe virtually with FaceTime or, you know, Xbox one or right. <laughs> <laughs> but that's still right. different. Um, and uh, yeah. you know, my 18 year old, you know, who's a student at Cape Fear community college, you know, has a group of six or eight friends that he, you know, goes to lunch with once or twice a week. They hang out, they go for walks, they exercise together, they do all kinds of stuff. And he's not seeing them except virtually. 
Mm -hmm. uh, and and I, I worry about the impact on all of our children of this, um, but adults too. And then and then think about the trauma for our folks who are in service industry like restaurants or or retail. Oh, I or, know. You know who who don't have jobs and don't know whether they'll have a job to go back to and and that level of trauma is monstrous um so absolutely and it, it leaks out you know i mean like and, and i don't think that it's this is not you know in, in any way uh, when i say like uh, there's no shaming or blaming here but i mean it it's sort of um it leaks out into the family. You know what I mean? That type of stress and that type of not knowing and that type of uncertainty and inconsistency, it's scary. And it's hard for that not to become like a family, you know what I mean? For children to see their parents struggle and, and, and for the stress levels to rise and things like that. I just think it's just a natural, um, it, it's what happens when. Yes. When and even, occurs. even for those of us with adult children, my oldest, um, um, my oldest works in the restaurant industry and, and is working very few hours right now. And, you know, we're, we're worried yeah. um, about, you know, what's going to happen. And, and fortunately the main restaurant he works for is really ramped up their takeout stuff, but he's not getting many hours there. It looks like the restaurant will probably survive, but you know, he's not going to have a normal paycheck until things get back to, 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 you know, regular hours and stuff. And, you know, he's a month to month, week to week kind of person. And, yes. you know, and, and there are thousands of folks out there like that. That's right. That's right. Yes, we are. I mean, we really are in a sort of service industry type of community in many, many ways. And lots of people rely on that. Um, so it really has been really interesting. We, we used the word, and I'm, I'm trying to find a good segue, and maybe you have one, but I mean, I think that one of the things that does occur to me when I'm talking to someone like you who gets this, this, this point is yes. the idea of privilege and that, you know, you and I have certainly worked in, in, a, in a field where you get to see, you know, the discrepancies between privilege and not having the same types of privilege. What would you say about that kind of from so, your vantage point? I, I think that that part of that is is privilege leads us to take things for granted. For for example, mm -hmm. I, I'm on my cell phone. You're on your cell phone, and you know, other than mm -hmm. worrying about my battery dying, I don't worry about my cell phone. Um, I've got income to pay my bill right. every month, and it stays on and you know, I have unlimited data and, you know, I don't think about it. Um, it's attached to me, you know, mm -hmm. but for example, families in my DSS caseload, th for those families, their phone is a lifeline. And right now in COVID-19, mm -hmm. it's their only lifeline. Um, it's how many of them are staying connected with their children who are in foster care. It's how many of them are connecting to their yes treatment, whether it's mental health or treatment for substance misuse, um, it's their lifeline and they couldn't buy phone cards because phone cards weren't deemed essential. Oh yeah. And the folks who were looking at, you know, what was essential and what wasn't weren't thinking about that. Um, I think that we're going to get some new guidance from the city and county today about that because, um, you know, a good friend, Bodine, you know, called it out and, um, and sent several of us, a, you know, on the resilience task force an email about it. And I forwarded it to city and county and to the governor and, you know, and I think we're going to get some guidance um, about about that. But that's an example of how we're not always aware of the privilege that we have and the privilege that we live. And others don't have that. Um, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I I don't need a new bed or new sheets or anything like that right now. But somebody who's running a shelter, right. like our friend Frankie Roberts at Link has new residents coming in all the time and yes. he's expecting 
12, 13, 14 new women guests at Link transitioning out of, of, of a period of incarceration. And they've got to have new sheets. Yeah. Well, Frankie went to try to buy new sheets and couldn't because it wasn't deemed essential. And we've, we've worked yeah. through that and the city was great and they've worked it out where if he can't schedule an appointment to, you know, order it online and drive through and pick it up that, that they'll work, they'll help him work that out. But, but it had to be worked out. And, you know, and, and the, yes. the restrictions are, the restrictions make some sense because, um, you know, what you don't want is a bunch of folks going and rifling through clothes and putting their hands on stuff, for example. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so if it's not really essential, you don't want folks out shopping and online is much safer, but there, there was potential direct impact on some of our shelters. And so we've asked that that be revisited. Um, I think that pr privilege affects us in, in lots of ways. Um, you know, as I talk to some of my, my black friends, um, you know, there's a privilege that I experience as a result of being white that they don't. Um, there's a privilege that I experience sure. because, for example, I've got a state job. I don't, I don't work in retail. I don't work uh -huh. in the service industry. You know, I get paid. Um, and, you know, and, you know, and, and, I, and I try not to take that for granted, especially in times like this. And I try to recognize what's happening in other people's lives and find ways to, to help alleviate um, inequity because that's what privilege leads to is inequity and try to yeah. somehow work towards finding equity. Um, and it's, it's a challenge because it's, it's so hard to be self-aware um, of that because there's so much we take for granted. Agreed. Agreed. No, that's beautiful. All right. So segueing out of that just a little bit, what would you say is the biggest lesson that you've learned from the court? So, um, probably the two, there, there are, there, there are two words that I would use to describe the greatest lesson that I've learned. And those two words are grace and compassion. Um, okay. I, I went on the bench 28 years ago and um, I was a punisher, um, pretty hard nosed. Um, that's a, that's a fairly common experience with new judges and some evolve out of that and some don't. But I think that over the years, um, maybe, maybe three words, grace, compassion, and patience um, are, 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 is the most important lesson I've learned because um, you know, sometimes we can become desensitized to, to what we're doing because we're doing the same thing every day. And even though it may be different people, it's the same type of case. It's the same situation. And we can become desensitized to that if we're not careful. And, and, and I think that recognizing that, um, you, you know, it's almost like carrying the thought there, but for the grace of God, go I, um, changes perspective uh -huh. yes um, because there mm -hmm. are times in our lives where you know but for some kind of intervention our life could be a very different place now um and some of that that's right intervention is maybe providence some maybe some of it is just pure luck you know where something could have gone differently and and, and we could be in a different place and 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 to remember that um, people are people everywhere and they're, they're no different than you and I. Um, and that when they're standing yeah. in one of those rooms where I work, it may be the most important day in their life. And if I'm impatient, if I'm rushing, mm -hmm. if I'm pushing, if I'm pressing, if I'm not recognizing the circumstances in their life that, that brought their life crashing down around their ears, then I'm not serving them. Uh, and so that's been a real evolution for me in the last 10 to 12 years, particularly, um, you know, the room that I work mm -hmm. in now is a very different room than it was 15 years ago. Oh, I, I mean, those are my second response of our conversation. Now, some of that comes at a personal cost to me in terms of emotion because, because I'm, 
I've tried to make the room more personal, um, you know, and, and I had to ramp that up in, um, you know, with our um, opioid epidemic um, because, you know, for the first time yeah. in my career, I felt like I needed to have life and death conversations with folks that I needed to try to help keep them alive. And that was never a yeah. conscious thought when I was in law school or a lawyer, um, except in rare cases. And even as a judge, it just wasn't an issue that came up, you know, worried about it some in domestic violence, but in my DSS case, so I really never had to worry about it. And then all of a sudden, every day I'm mm -hmm. in that room, it's on my mind. But because somebody's life is yes. at risk, maybe they've already died and been brought back with Narcan. Maybe they've already overdosed. Um, kids have lost parents yep. that are gone, um, that they'll never see again. And, and, and so as I try to open my heart to, you know, being more effective, uh, in, in my conversations with, with these folks, it's, it, it's hard and it's a whole lot easier, I think, to be dispassionate and cold and, you know, whatever. And then, but then, you know, what good are you to the folks who need to know somebody cares? Um, and so, um, yeah, so, so it's, it's really different. We're very family focused. We have kids running around the courtroom. We welcome kids into, you know, you know, my bailiffs <laughs> get crazy because they want to stop the kids from running around. And I'm saying, let them run. They're kids, you know, and, uh, they're not bothering me. And they're kids, um, you know, and, and, you know, we have, you know, folks who are experiencing incarceration, get to visit with their, with their kids. You know, I've had, I've got a set of young parents in my caseload right now that are both in the in the New Hanover County Jail awaiting trial on some really serious drug charges, but they're they're good people who made a mistake. And she was pregnant and delivered mm -hmm. her child at, at the hospital at Central Prison while she's been awaiting trial. And and the only times that they get to see their baby and hold their baby is when they're in court with me. And they get to sit beside each other and we take the handcuffs off and they hold their baby the whole time and they fuss over their baby and love on their baby. And we sort of joke out loud that their lawyers will catch them up on what happened in court and they can just focus on their baby if they want. Um, yeah. <laughs> because, because, because they, they, they need oh, that. Um, they, they need that contact and they look yes. forward. You know, I've got, I've got, you know, I've got a number of parents who lose gain time when they come to court for hearings, so, which means they'll stay in prison a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. But they come to court because they know they'll get to see their kids and visit with their kids. And we actually arrange visits for them while they're yeah. while they're with us. And it's a way of being trauma informed. Uh, and it's a way of being trauma sensitive. Yep. Um, kids who have parents who are incarcerated worry about their parents and they need to see them and touch them Absolutely. and hold them. And, you know, right now we can't, we can't do it in the midst of COVID. And I'm, it's incredibly disappointing to me that we can't do that right now. But, um, but as soon as it's safe, we'll get, we'll get started back. I just, I'm a firm believer in that. And the joy that you see um, in the midst of so much tragedy is just incredible. Well, and, you know, sort of the cherry on top to that is that's the installation of hope. I mean, it's it's the the ability to say, you know, this is what I'm doing all of this for. This is what all of the hard the hard work is about. And I think that it just gives people hope and it gives kids hope. And I think that that's, you know, hope I mean, is that's a really just a beautiful thing to see. Um, um, you know, um, it is, isn't if it? You've never had a dream. You can never have a dream come true. And for so many of folks that I serve, they've struggled ever having a dream in their life. And, and one of the things that I try to inspire them to do is to have a dream of being together with their family again, and to give them the tools that they believe that that will happen. Not just that it's a pipe dream, but they actually believe that by working hard today, they can make that dream come true. And, um, and I think that, that having their children there, being able to see their children more frequently, we've, we've grown our visitation, just dramatically uh, over the years. Um, we have some parents who are seeing their children for eight hours a day, seven days a week in the homes of their parents. Um, 
whereas, you know, 10 years ago, you know, it was an hour a week supervised at the Department of Social Services. And, and not much hope is born out of seeing your child for an hour a week. And so we've really tried to, 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 yeah. to instill hope and then to put tools in place that folks actually believe that, that those dreams will come true. And, and, and cause absence of hope, it can be a lot of things and despair is one of those things. And when folks who suffer either from mental illness right. or substance misuse have despair, then they're not going to get well and they're not going to get their children back. And that's, yeah. that's, there's no question. Well, and that's a that. loss to the whole um, community. And, and so we work hard at that hope piece. I'm glad you mentioned that word because it's an, it's a really important word. Yeah. A good one. Okay. So just to finish yes. up, you and I could talk forever. We know that, but all right. So just to finish up, I'm going to ask you just a few questions and you can okay. give me like, you know, the, sh the short answer. Okay. All right. So right now, what so uh, my faith and my family. Um, yep. Yeah. Faith and family. Um, Love you it. know, you I've got lots song? of favorite songs. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got, I've got lots of favorite songs. I, I, I couldn't possibly pick one. Couldn't possibly um, pick one. Okay. What makes so, you laugh? Um, uh, lot, fortunately, lots of things. Talking to you this morning has made me laugh repeatedly. Um, and, um, you know, and so, um, okay. I try to find <laughs> some levity in, in, in everything I do just you know, and try to say some, I try to say something funny when it's appropriate. My pastor checked on me when I was in the hospital a few weeks ago and was worried about, he said, are you in pain? And I said, my butt hurts. <laughs> I've been laying in this uncomfortable bed <laughs> for a day and I'm ready to get up. <laughs> so, um, so lots of different things make me laugh. Um, I love it. Okay. What are you most proud of? My children. Oh, it's so good. So good. Um, Who's been your biggest encourager? My wife and my kids. Um, my wife and my kids. I love that. So any, um, any last I hope that, words that, you want to say? That anybody who listens to this and everybody who listens to this will um, take a moment to be thoughtful of others, uh, that they will show grace and compassion, that they will um, try to be helpful to others. Um, I think these are, these are trying times. Um, lots of folks' lives have been turned on end. And as we have the, even the limited interactions that we're having, find a way to be kind. Yes. I love it. I well, think that's a thanks for this time this morning. All right. Absolutely. I so appreciate, appreciate you. And I'm so thankful for your influence on our community. Absolutely. And me too, Lisa. Thanks for this opportunity. To sometime soon. Bye. Okay. All right.